Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchione, and I'm here with Mark Chenoweth, and we have a interim victory to report uh, on NCLA, and that is in the uh, Lujan versus U- U.S. Department of Education. And I'll just brief, well, describe this uh, case, which is kind of interesting. Um, there is a program run by the Department of Education, the Fulbright-Hayes Doctoral Dissertation Research Abroad Fellowship Program. And um, I'm just going to call it the Fellowship Program. But uh, what that does is um, has folks who are very good with languages um, apply and then uh, work abroad in in their chosen language. And the this uh, statute that, that uh, put this into operation was done in the 1960s, and it was part of an overall effort to make sure that there were enough um, American assets to be not just in the military, but in um, you know international organizations, uh, Peace Corps, all, all the various um, international presence that the United States has. And there was an under, there was a belief that there weren't enough people who had the language skills to um, to take those positions and also increase the number of positions. Uh, and so this program went on for many years. And sometime in the late 1990s, the Department of Education changed the way that it was working uh, on the program and how you could apply. And it put in a requirement that the Department of Education would review each application to this program to determine the qualifications of the applicant uh, on the basis of several factors, including, quote, the applicant's proficiency in one or more of the languages other than English and the applicant's native language, the country or countries of research, and specific measures to be taken to overcome any anticipated language barriers. So there was basically a point system put in. And if you were in two categories of uh, speakers, let's say you were, uh, and there's not a, I don't think there's a a bright line between these two, these two, but it is, it does appear that the first category that we'll be talking about mostly today is a heritage speaker. And that's someone who, if you grew up uh, in a family that had, uh, let's, I, I always use my father on this. You grew up in an Italian family, and some people spoke Italian at home, but you weren't uh, completely immersed. You 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 were um, you're a heritage speaker, but you're not maybe a native speaker. And then a native speaker is somebody who um, I'll take a clean example of someone who was born in another country, raised in another country till they were teenager um, or older, that sort of thing. Um, well, 
the Department of Education decided uh, kind of randomly, they'd never didn't done this before, that when you apply from the program, if uh, on a hundred point scale, if you're a heritage speaker, there are five points you, you can never get because they basically deduct uh, from your point total those uh, points as a heritage speaker. Then if you're a native speaker, they deduct 15 points. Well, what this and these are very competitive scholarships, these right. Fulbright scholarships. So if you lose 15 points, you're done. There's zero chance of winning. That's exactly it. This is not the sort of thing where it's, it's a minor uh, dig. And so, and, and there's really no explanation for it because the, the reason we have all of these programs is so that the America, America is represented in all the myriad organizations that they have uh, overseas and that require um, foreign languages. And, uh, you know, abroad, Americans are notoriously uh, uh, English speaking. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a big country and you can go many, many thousands of miles and always have someone speak English. And in other parts of the world, that's not the way it is. So in any event, so here we go. Uh, wh what happens is that we filed our case, we went on these Department of Education, and uh, before the government responded, uh, they they asked us, "Well, look, uh, we, well, we made a we made a preliminary injunction motion, and a preliminary injunction motion. We said, listen, one of our clients has applied to this program again, Samara Ahmad, and we don't want during the pendency of this litigation for her not to to be dinged those points, and the government." came back and said, yeah, you know what? And as a preliminary ma matter, we're gonna litigate this case, but as a preliminary matter, we are gonna not only uh, allow Ms. Ahmad to apply without, uh, as a heritage speaker, without those um, points being taken off, but also anyone who's, in, who's also a heritage speaker in Ms. Ahmad's, um, in the same category, We'll also not have those points deducted while we litigate this case. And the we stipulated, the government and we stipulated to this, and the court entered the order and said um, that all the, let me get the language, the parties have now filed a stipulation to withdraw Ahmad's motion for a preliminary injunction because defendants have agreed to provide the relief Ahmad sought in her motion. And then for future uh, settlement, we've extended the time for the government to respond. Um, but this is kind of unusual, Mark, because usually the government takes a position that no way, no how, all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah, it is unusual for them to admit error uh, at uh, particularly at the preliminary injunction stage where we have a fairly high high burden. But uh, I think this is consistent with with what you and I thought when we first saw this case. Uh, and and hats off to our colleague uh, Shang Li, who who identified this uh, this uh, case and brought these clients in. This is an open and shut case. I mean, when we saw this, we said, "Wait a minute! This is just this is uh, national origin discrimination. It doesn't really pretend to be anything else." And uh, there is no defense for this conduct by the federal government. And I think that the only thing surprising to me is that the federal government has balked at. Uh, undoing the whole regulation because right now their position is okay well we'll let it go for this one year but we're not 
you know, they haven't yet agreed to undo the regulation from 1998, which I think is what they're going to need to undo in order to get us to back off of, of the litigation. Because right. unless and until they do that, other people will face discrimination, if not this year, then in future years. And I think that, you know, national origin discrimination isn't, it's, it's very settled law, right? It's not like, it's, <laughs> it's not, not like borderline it's, conduct. It's not yeah. borderline conduct. No pun it's something, intended. It's something that if you take a look at the cases uh, all over the country since 1964, certainly, um, they're all pretty clear and they all pretty much come out one way. Uh, so Mark and I have discussed this before. I, I will ask him the following is, is that have we come up with any other I can't even think of the bureaucratic reason for this. I, I am, a, you know, usually in these, I either have a cynical reason or another reason, but I can't figure I've out. I've got a cynical reason, reason for, for you. I don't oh, have, a, I don't oh, have I'll, a, I'll take a cynical reason. I don't reason, have a bureaucratic cause, reason cause for you. I've never been able to figure it out. Well, I, I don't know if you remember, uh, John, but back in, in the, in the nineties, one of the things that, that Bill Clinton said in order to justify discrimination in admissions at university campuses, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said something like, well, you want your kids to get in, don't you? And he was using this as justification for discrimination against Asian Americans in uh, speaking to a white audience, justifying discrimination against Asian Americans. I think this is something similar. I think that that the the Clinton administration's Department of Education may have, again, no proof of this. This is just a cynical explanation. May have thought, well, there are too many native speakers getting these prestigious Fulbright scholarships. We want our American putting this in quotes, boys and girls to be able to get these uh, scholarships. That's obviously a discriminatory explanation, but it's hard to find something that isn't a discriminatory explanation for why you would do this. Well, no, I'll take, I'll take that. I had, I had never thought of that. And I, oh, was, was he a Fulbright or a Rhodes Scholar? Clinton had one. Well, he was from Arkansas, like Senator Fulbright, but I think he was a Rhodes Scholar. Okay, there you go. But, and he and he went to England, and he is a native English speaker. So he, I don't know if any points were deducted. Yeah, I don't, don't think that was an issue for him. Yeah, I mean, he spoke native Arkansas. That might not have been the same thing. Yeah, well, I'm sure the folks in Ar excuse me, Arkansas. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the yeah, folks in London think there's a difference. Um, but anyway, I think that that uh, I, I will say this: I do believe this behavior with um, in courts would be better. Uh, if 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 they approach this more likely, uh, more often, but uh, I do think you know for for the other for the native speakers, I can't imagine how the law would be different. I, I can't see that there's any legal difference, um, and so sure the preliminary injunction uh, was just for this because we had this this actual emergent problem. But can you see any other way the the law might be different for for native speakers? I mean, it's got to be the same. No, I think it's got to be the same. I don't see any reason why you would treat heritage speakers and native speakers uh, differently from a discrimination standpoint. I mean, I think whether it's a five point, uh, well, if anything, I, you might try to argue, well, the five point isn't, you know, isn't open and shut. The 15 point really is just disqualifies you from the application. Uh, but I don't see an argument that would go in the other direction that would say that you're allowed to discriminate against native speakers. Part of what the what the government has said at earlier stages of stages of this litigation uh, is that they're trying to encourage people to 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 learn the language, right? So, but but what our response has been is, in order to be a professional in these languages, in order to go overseas and and be a competent PhD student in these languages, 
you can't just rely on what you learned at home. There, there are technical vocabularies and other things that you have to learn along the way. Exactly right. Well, anyway, we'll give a prize for the case, and we'll be right back. Back to the Integrated Static. This is John Vecchioni, and I'm here with uh, Mark Chenoweth. And I, I want to talk about something else that we do here at NCLA quite a bit, and that is um, litigate against the Security and Exchange Commission's gag rule. And what this is is that if you settle with the SEC, any of their charges, and and they're usually civil charges against you, uh, saying that you've had some civil breach of the Securities Exchange laws and you enter into agreement with them, and you deny that you did any wrongdoing, but you enter into whatever it is they want you to do. And then as part of this, they always require you never to talk about it again. It's omerta, you know? Uh, you, you, you can never discuss that issue or criticize the SEC again about it. So maybe you're under the gun, maybe you- got, After they make you the offer, you can't refuse. Yeah, exactly. They made you the offer you can't refuse and you can't talk about it. So. Uh, this is, um, there was an article in Reason about it, actually, and, and, and colleague Peggy Little has litigated quite a bit, and some of the judges in the Fifth Circuit have said, this is a very bad thing, but procedurally right now, they, they couldn't get to it. Yeah, they, they said it was a prior restraint. Yeah, no question. So so some, we're, there's, we're, we're going to get at it one of these days, one way or another. But um, so uh, just so the, the audience can understand the SEC settles 98, 99% of these cases that it brings. People can't bring them to trial because they're too expensive. The risk is too great. Uh, you're caught oftentimes uh, you know, in a long, long uh, uh, litigation period. So I, I want to bring up something that really struck me because this week I was not opining or writing anything. I was actually at a hearing. I was at an evidentiary hearing for our clients who we've talked about before. Um, in, in the Spartan Securities case. And if you recall, in SEC versus Spartan Securities, the, um, the uh, government brought 14 counts against our clients, and uh, one of our clients uh, was completely exonerated, and they, and they found no liability, jury found no liability. And then for four of our clients, one count uh, of, of NB violation was found. And um, so we went to a security, we, we went to a, um, an evidentiary hearing on what the penalty should be this week. And it was open, it's, uh, you know, open court. It's not anything secret, but one of the things that struck me first about the length of time, even the judge was like, weren't we all here a year, a year ago, uh, counsel? And yes, we were, it was exactly a year ago. So the trial was a year ago. And now we're having the penalty stage now a year later. So these things take time. It's not a, it's not a quick process. So, um, but here's what really struck me, Mark, which I was kind of taken aback. Our, uh, one of our clients, uh, Mika Elgin, writes on SEC um, 
uh, procedures and their, and their policies and their effect on capital accumulation. And he wrote that he believed that, or, uh, and I haven't read the article, this is what the government has said. But the government gets up there and says that the, basically that the penalty should be greater because his criticism of the SEC shows that he's going to do something bad in the future. So he has entered into the uh, argument that every American can about how the government should regulate and what it can do. And he's criticized one branch of the government. And be because he's criticized it in an open article, not through some secret thing, not through some uh, huge conspiracy. And this was no part of what he was charged with, by the way, just to just to just add on to it. It's not like this is not I don't want any at uh, anyone who's out there who's done securities law. This is not like some public offering where they put something false in anything. Nothing like that happened. Zero like that happened. So this is not the case where someone's going to write something false. There's no, there's no allegation like that. It's not a public offering uh, idea. It's just a matter of he criticized the SEC and, and, and how they regulate, and they're still steam, so they want to have all these penalties against him. And they can't. One of the things that that is, and they couldn't get this no as a as a penalty typically no no you can't you you certainly can't, not for criticizing the SEC no way so but they used it what they did was say that this shows intent to go and violate the law so criticizing the government is not intent to violate the law okay well, why why wouldn't the response to that John be uh, so what you're saying is that you're coming after him because he's criticizing the SEC. And so what we really see here is prosecutorial intent to go after somebody based on their criticism of the SEC. I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure that's happening either, but it's the same logic. Yeah. Yeah. Co correct. And I'm not sure the time, I'm not sure they brought the case when the thing was written. So, but the, but the fact of the matter is, so here's the SEC's position now that I've boiled it down and I never, I never saw this before. Right. But I go down there and I'm, and I'm, I have at top of mind the gag orders and I, and I'm like, and I'm, I'm thinking, hey, uh, at least whatever, these guys can always tell their side of the story. They fought the case, 13 of the counts were thrown out. They can say what they think the, the story is on the case and the SEC can't stop them. They can, and we can't stop. And we can't we, stop. We can't stop the SEC from saying, well, he was, they were found innocent of these 13 charges, but they were really guilty. We can't right. stop them from saying that. That's correct. And they can't stop us from saying, well, we think this happened or that happened. Whatever our clients want to say, they can say it. They're not under any agreement to be barred from what they have to say. And yet, at this penalty stage, what they've written in criticism of the SEC is used against them as if it's some sort of exacerbation of a um, violation of securities laws. That is outrageous, Mark. I mean, I couldn't believe it as I as I listened to that. Did the judge respond at all? Or no, um, it was part. See, here's the thing: the uh, and the government had asked for 35 minutes and was already on the 45th minute minute and going towards an hour. It looked like, and the the court basically had to shut down the whole thing because she had to get out of there. So it was not the sort of thing where often district courts we can we can go back and forth forever. That was not going to be the case here. Um, so it, it was the sort of thing where, where, um, you, you had to get in, get out, say your piece, say your piece and get out. Right. Exactly. And, um, and, uh, this, uh, the, the, but, but, um, I thought about it on the plane coming back, uh, Tampa, that this really is an unusual agency because sure they 
oft, I mean, I've seen this maybe the FTC, that they don't like certain types of criticism, but prosecutors usually have pretty thick skins. The Justice Department knows that the people it prosecutes say terrible things about them, but you never see them settle saying, <laughs> you never have these like 20 year prosecutors never go, you can't criticize the Justice Department. Right. You know, it never happens. It's like and, and the fact that you're trying to criticize this means you're going to be a repeat offender. And you're going to be a repeat offender. Maybe it's happened, but I've never seen it. I I uh, normally I see those guys, you know, here's here's the law, here's what you violated, here's what we're gonna do to you. And they 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 take criticism like water is off a duck's back, you know. I I I um I I don't know why this is. I I cannot imagine the um the, the corporate culture, if you will, of, of the SEC, that this is just seen as perfectly fine and normal. Well, I think it's a corporate culture that happens when you have 99% of the cases settle and everyone's bound by a gag and no one ever criticizes you. I think, <laughs> I think, that's, I think that's what you're seeing. Here. And we do discuss the, the fear of the regulator quite a bit. I mean, certainly um, one of the challenges for uh, an organization like NCLA and getting clients is, is that the the repeat uh, players who are going to be regulated again and again do not want to get in a huge fight with the regulator over their powers, particularly. Sometimes, you know, they have to fight because of the money interests, but to fight over the powers of the agencies is, uh, you know, that's the that's it. That's the third rail for them, right? Well, they don't like to play mother may I, but they're willing to do it in order to make their businesses uh, a go. And if you, uh, the, the problem with mother may I is that mother may say no. And so <laughs> they, they want to stay on, on mother's good side, if you will. That's exactly right. But uh, I do think that we've got to continue to challenge the SEC on these gag rules. They've got to join the rest of the American government <laughs> and, and uh, not have this sort of, uh, well, I'll, I'll be generous and call it a European view. I, I think it's, I think <laughs> it's further East than that maybe, but nonetheless. Uh, Zorist. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but uh, we, I think we've got to keep pressing this because um, SEC cannot have an entire culture where you criticize their regulatory regime or how they're regulating it or whether this, I mean, basically this regulation diminishes capital X amount. And I think, why regulation would diminish capital less, but um, get the same results? All right. That's a law-breaking argument right there, buddy. <laughs> String them up. <laughs> String them up. Um, so I, I do or think... Round up the usual suspects. <laughs> round up the usual suspects. I mean, it is kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. And, and I... Um, and, and because... And it's only because these cases came so close in time... Um, the uh, Fifth Circuit in, um, I don't want to- Novinger? Novinger. I didn't want to confuse it with the other Fifth Circuit cases. So it's the Novinger case. You can go see what the judges said there. It's on our website. And- uh, And we talked about that case with Peggy Little yeah, a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, a few weeks ago. And so it was so close in time that as I watched the SEC in, a, in action, it really was a stark thing. So, so for 98, 99% of the cases, you can't say anything. And for the 1% where they- where they win uh, less than 10% of what they said against you. Uh, oh, and then we're going to punish you more. I mean, that is just, that is unbelievable. Um, 
but I think we we will it's talk aggressive. It is it is aggressive. Um, so I think we will be discussing this in the future. This uh, I think we still we have found out and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. So only the only the SEC and Commodities Future. Uh, yeah, CFTC. And the, only those two agencies do this, and I've never litigated against this, the commodities futures. So I don't. I don't know how they are, but um, these are the only people who do it. So it's not necessary to for, to have the laws of the United States enforced because they don't enforce most of the laws of the United States. Um, yeah, those two agencies don't. That's for sure. Right. So uh, this is this is a strange thing. Culture and. We will be fighting it in the future. Uh, and Mark and I will be right back.